0: Welcome to 5-Minute Finance, a podcast that explores topics that are impacting your money. Join us as we discuss what is moving the economy, markets, stocks, and personal finance. This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Before acting on any financial advice, you should consult a financial professional who can review your specific financial situation. Any opinions expressed by the hosts or guests are their own and do not reflect the opinion of LVM Capital Management. Clients or employees of LVM Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in the podcast. Welcome to 5-Minute Finance. Tyler and Craig here today. This is our second of four on the Fundamental Factors of Investing podcast, and today we're going to talk about the value factor. So there are a lot of definitions in the investment industry in terms of what the value factor is but one description uh, refers to the value factor as the factor that aims to capture excess returns from stocks with low prices relative to their fundamental value. Uh, this is commonly tracked by price-to-books, price-to-earnings, or a dividend yield, or a free cash flow yield. So A lot of different factors can be used to calculate the value factor for stocks. Historically, though, it's price-to-book valuation method that is often cited for value investing with Low price-to-book being classified as a value stock and price-to-book, kind of what that is, is basically it compares the company's accounting book value, the net assets of a company, relative to its current market capitalization. At LVM, our research really revolves around finding good values or bargain price stocks by finding companies that traded a discount to its intrinsic value. How we calculate that intrinsic value is typically through a discounted cash flow evaluation where we calculate the company's future free cash flows and discount those back to today's dollars. We also will find companies that uh, we believe are good values by comparing some of its other fundamentals, such as earnings, sales, or dividends, to an industry competitor or the overall market. And as we've discussed on our previous episode, for the quality factor, we know that not one factor can assess the value of a company or if it's a good investment, you really need to consider a lot of different fundamentals or factors to decide if it's a company that would make a worthwhile investment. So Craig, that's kind of a little bit of the backdrop of the value factor. What are some of the common pitfalls that value investors might come across when investing?
1: Well, that's a good question. And I think a lot of times people think of value, they just think, well... I'll buy a cheap stock. And when you think about it, value and growth are really two sides of the same coin. A stock's not a good value if there's not some decent quality in the company and some underlying growth. Cheap junk is still junk. Mm -hmm. And a growth stock is not a good investment. It doesn't become a growth investment if you pay too high a price. It's interesting that before the advent of what we now call the investment consulting industry, which came into being maybe 40 years ago there really wasn't much attention paid to growth versus value. The consultants, like an SEI or Callan Associates, later Morningstar with their style box, wanted to define managers in a certain way so that when they went to their pension plans, they could recommend multiple managers to fill up all the different boxes. And so that's when this whole concept of you're either a growth manager or a value manager really came into being.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting and how that's changed over time. What about value investing historically? Do cheaper stocks outperform expensive stocks?
1: Again, most of the studies are based on price to book value. And so you get totally different industry sector exposures in a value index versus a growth index. But those studies generally point to value significantly outperforming growth over long periods of time. There are significant times when the inverse is true. If we look at the last 20 years, say, the first 10 years of the 2000s value outperformed growth by a significant amount, but in the decade of the 2010s, growth outperformed value. Part of that, I think, is because at the start of 2000, we were at the tech bubble, mm-hmm and that was inflated by growth stocks. That bubble burst. Growth stocks dramatically underperformed. Value stocks rode that wave and did very well. And then in 2010, we were coming out of the great financial crisis, and there was a real emphasis on earnings growth at that point, and growth stocks uh, outperformed for the next 10 years. But we've got some charts that just compare the uh, Russell 1000 growth exchange-traded fund with the Russell 1000 value exchange-traded fund. And over the past 10 years, growth has outperformed value. But year-to-date, ending October 31st, with the market down, value has outperformed growth by a significant amount, falling only about 9.5%, where growth is down over 26%.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, some of the thought behind why growth outperformed over the last ten years leading up to to COVID was growth was relatively scarce, right? We had really low nominal GDP growth over that ten year period, although very stable. So investors placed a premium on those companies that did have higher growth.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: and and then kind of since you know post COVID, really there was a lot of growth, and necessarily wasn't as scarce, and you were able to find a lot of companies that maybe had good value and also had good growth. So when we compare some of the valuation measures that we use here at LVM versus some of the ones we've we've discussed, Craig, what are some of the valuation measures that LVM uses and where do they stand today?
1: Sure. So in our composite scoring model, one of the primary factors is valuation. And within that valuation piece, we use a number of variables. We use EV to EBITDA, which is simply enterprise value divided by earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Enterprise value is the market capitalization of a company plus their debt minus their cash. And so it compares the value of the company to their earnings. We also look at the price earnings ratio relative to the growth rate of the company, which is called the PEG ratio. We look at the price relative to what earnings are expected to be 12 months in the future. And we look at the price earnings ratio relative to the company's own five-year average price earnings ratio. Is that trading more expensively than it has in the past or less expensively? But Once we've identified companies that look attractive on those measures and our overall scoring measure, then one of our analysts will look at a discounted cash flow analysis, as as you alluded to earlier, Tyler.
0: Yeah, in particular, going back to the EV to EBITDA, that's really kind of just a cash flow measure, the EBITDA portion. That kind of just gives a, a more generalized picture of cash flow for a company. So similar yeah, similar to an earnings level, but you kind of add back some of these other items.
1: So what are we seeing in terms of current valuation levels of the market based on some of these measures?
0: Right. So on that one in particular, EV to EBITDA, that on the Russell 1000 is currently about 13.4 times. And then the maybe a little bit easier to track historically is the price to earnings ratio. The median right now is about 16 and a half times. And when you kind of compare that median price to earnings ratio compared to the maybe 25 year average, closer to 17 times, it looks like it's basically right in line with this 25 year average. If you look longer term, that number looks a little bit lower in terms of an average price to earnings ratio. And it certainly has crept up over time. So right now, at least on a price-to-earnings, as long as earnings come in where they're currently expected to be, the market looks fairly valued here. The other piece here in terms of a dividend yield, really close to its 25-year average, the S&P 500 dividend yield now is about 1.9%. That compares to the 25-year average closer to 2%. And then the you know price-to-book valuations, which we've kind of mentioned, is one of the more prevalent valuation measures for value investors is uh, about 3.2 times book value. So you're paying three times your book value for the market capitalization of the company. And that compares to the 25-year average of a 3.1. So it's slightly overvalued on that valuation measure. One of the other things too is we're talking S&P 500, we're talking large cap US stocks. There are other indices and and places to invest as well. Um, International stocks have a lower price to earnings ratio currently than the S&P 500. comparing it to just U.S. stocks, taking a look at small cap U.S. stocks, the valuations on those are closer to 12 times earnings when you have an historical average closer to 15 times earnings. So there are some areas in the market that do have lower valuations than had historically.
1: And I think valuation overall is important as uh, Ben Graham and Warren Buffett have stressed, not paying too high a price gives you a margin of safety. Nobody knows the future with certainty if you're paying a good price for something, a good value, your margin of safety is much greater. And that's, that's really the number one rule in investing.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, thanks for listening today. Feel free to reach out for any questions, podcast at lvmcapital.com.